These are preventable, avoidable things that happen. Catching a, a breast cancer at stage one or zero, helping people understand the importance of being screened, um, helps drive down costs and helps improve people's lives. Welcome back to a fireside chat with Chillmark Research, looking at healthcare IT with a lens to the future. Today I am sitting with Jerry Schultz, president of Lightbeam Health. So could you tell me a little bit about what you do with Lightbeam and what you focus on at the company? Sure. Hi. Uh, my name is Jerry Schultz, Lightbeam's president. My focus is helping to make sure our clients are succeeding in their transformation to value-based care. As you know, our, our industry is in a generational transformation from fee-for-service to value-based care which is something this country desperately needs to help reduce overall spending and improve overall quality. We cannot afford this current spending curve we're on. There's also a couple other real dynamic convergences coming together. There's a generational shift in the way patients view the relationship with their providers. They don't necessarily view the traditional relationship that they had for 30 or 40 years with their, with their doctor in the same way. It's more consumer driven. They'll do the research on the internet and then they'll choose to go to the most convenient doctor, not necessarily the doctor who they have a relationship with or has the best quality. And then there's a transformational generational shift in, in the way technology is affecting the patient in their home. Uh, wearable devices, remote patient monitoring, number of government initiatives that are paying for health and wellness and preventive screenings to be done in the patient's center, which are really good initiatives. My focus is making sure that our clients can effectively ingest all that information, put meaning to it, serve it up to the providers in an actionable way without creating undue stress in the provider's normal workflow. Physicians already have too many what a phrase you hear is alert fatigue. Physicians are already getting way too many alerts. So now we have to do a, a really nice job of making sure that the right alerts, the right messages, the right patients getting to the right person, the right care team in order to drive down costs and make sure that the, the population is being served properly. We do that by aggregating data from about, we, we have over 10,000 unique sending facilities or sources that we receive data from nightly and now in real time. We run it through our warehousing tools where we identify high-risk patients, high-risk behaviorals, social determinants of health factors that can help us see where an intervention can help move the needle and make a difference in a patient's life. My mission is really make sure that our, our systems are helping our clients generate savings and generate industry-leading results. Our customers have generated collectively over $2 billion in savings, which it's not just about the money, but the, as the saying goes, no, no margin, no mission. Those savings are helping drive down healthcare spend um, and drive up quality. Um, our results for our customers, we're very proud, are about two, two and a half times higher than non-net Lipium ACO. So I think we're doing a pretty good job for our customers. Fantastic. But, Those are great numbers. Thank you. So with the pandemic and all of that shift towards remote care, did you guys see much of uh, an impact on how virtual care can shift that needle and can actually change the care continuum for into less expensive modes of care and less expensive encounters. Are you guys tracking that with your system at yeah, all? And what, what have you seen play out both during the pandemic and then since things have started to return to normal as those virtual visits start to decrease, but still balance out a little bit? Great question. Yeah, yeah, we actually did. A lot of our clients did see, obviously, a drop off in office visits. So a lot of their nurses were redirecting to ma managing patients in programs like chronic care management, managing patients remotely. A lot of our clients implemented telehealth programs. We modified our analytics to help track COVID and COVID COVID-related expenses, and we also saw 
back to that earlier point, a generational shift in the way people view technology. I saw a survey that 75% of patients have now indicated a willingness to to wear a remote device or to participate in an RPM, remote patient monitoring kind of program. Uh, whereas I don't think with COVID, that might have been so high. They're, they're very comfortable now helping co-manage their own condition at home with the assistance of these devices that report data back on real time. What that can really help our system do and our customers, the next looming, I think, problem for our, our clients that are moving to value, when they get to 60, 70, 80, 90% of their portfolio or their patient load is value-based care, that's a lot of patients to surveil. That's a lot of data to surveil. And it's a lot of activities that they currently aren't staffed for. And that, I think, is, is going to be the biggest, I guess, hangover from COVID is there's a labor shortage already. Health systems are having trouble staffing these care models around these opportunities to generate improvements in health for these cohorts of patients. And it's only going to be made worse by the fact that there's all this additional information coming in from the patient's home. Yep. So we think that the opportunity really needs to be, the problem needs to be viewed differently. And by that I mean, how can a care manager manage two, 3,000 patients instead of 100, 150 patients? And it's with technology giving us daily feeds from the patient to let us know, oh, these are the folks who look like I should intervene with today. So it's, it's where fewer people can more efficiently manage and scale to handle larger patients by having technology help really mon manage the patient in a, in a non-invasive way, using technology that speaks to the patient in their home via their Alexa, Mrs. Jo Johnson, how do you feel today? Do you feel you know, like you had any shortness of breath? And if she says yes, that gets kicked up to the care manager to intervene and you know, help keep Mrs. Johnson out of, out of the hospital. I know a lot of people are going after that right now. A lot of people are trying to figure out how you can kind of preempt major events because those are always the big cost drivers. So looking at the cost of care and all these expenses that you're referring to, recently Biden you know, issued his latest executive order, that big executive order that had something like 75 different specific call-outs around a number of topics within the American economy, both anti-competitive behavior, healthcare, all kinds of things. So as far as we're looking at that anti-competitive behavior specifically, health affairs and a few other research organizations have recently published articles showing that industry consolidation in this industry is actually creating a lot of anti-competitive environments and microcosms where you only have one health system to go to and they're jacking up prices. So how do you guys see, because obviously you're going to be, a lot of the companies that you would work with are these larger organizations that actually do have this kind of ACO value-based model. So how do you see what you're doing potentially helping to contain those costs and ideally preventing this kind of monopolistic behavior. Is that not really something that you guys are too focused no, it, on, but you're hoping that the anti, you know, that competitiveness stays in the yeah. industry? Great question. Uh, it's actually worse than that. Uh, not only are they monopolistically gouging prices or, or setting prices in a non-competitive way, but they're also not complying fully with the data blocking rules. So if we have a small ACO in a city that has a major health system, the 900 pound gorilla, and their patients go into that health system, and those health systems do not make that data available, that creates blind spots for us that are significant. We've developed tools, for example, that help manage referrals and the cost of referrals and, and better manage the patient and help 
prevent problems like 30 to 40% of all patient referrals go unfulfilled. And those are data-driven tools that look at cost and quality and outcomes as one of six or seven factors to help make sure that we're getting this patient to the right hospital and the right cardiologist. But you're, you're spot on. In some markets, we're not able to use the right hospital or all of the hospitals within, especially in, in rural markets, within a, there's a reason why some of those same hospitals, health systems, payers are, are creating contracts with uh, satellite hospitals out into the countryside. So yeah, the patients are doing their research. Health systems should be able to do the same thing. We should be able to have complete transparency and to start doing creative things like if you're willing to to get your MRI in the evening, the copay is not is, is no longer being charged, or or use this you know radiology facility for these benefits and, and these price benefits. So it, it's something that's going to have to change. But I, but I think the health systems realize it as well as they shift the value. Think about the catch twenty two for them as a greater percentage of their margin and mission is tied to quality and cost, they're, they have a catch-22 by being the high-cost provider. Yes. And, and so they're going to have to start to drive those costs down. And their incentives are to keep people out of their facilities in the first place as well, at least value-based care. So as the market shifts to the slow move to value-based care, which is accelerating now, we're seeing commercial payers accelerate. We have several commercial payer clients that are accelerating their shift to commercial ACOs. Um, uh, the blues, many of the blues have now put a very high percentage of that. So, so the incentives where the physicians are the gatekeeper now are there in place to try to put pressure on that. So hopefully that pressure from below and above will, and, and the economic models will drive change. Okay, that makes sense. I mean, Wishful that's thinking, what maybe. we're hoping. I, yeah. That's what we're hoping from our perspective, and it's, it's what drives us at Shellmark to do the research that we mm -hmm. do, because we see how broken and screwed up the way that the system works now is when everything's fragmented, everything is so specialized, and then, you know, as you get more specialized, the costs increase. But if you treat the whole patient to begin with, those costs aren't gonna get so high in the first place. Yeah, I do have one client who's an ACO, and, and I won't tell you where they are, but the, the person who runs the value-based care contracts for them said to me something along the lines of, my hospital is much higher cost my health system has a much higher cost structure than a couple across the street. So it's a catch-22. I'd love to have my cardiac and orthopedic cases stay in my own health system and bring that revenue in-house and keep the patient in-house, but for my ACO and my physician bonuses, and total spend bonuses, I really should be referring them to my competitive health system. Yeah, or to those specialized MRI places instead yeah. of doing it in the hospital where it's so much more expensive. Yeah, exactly. Tell me about what really drives you to do your job right now. Like what motivates you in healthcare? Because everybody's brought, to, I feel like everyone I talk to that is on the HIMSS floor or just is working in healthcare IT in some capacity, most people have a personal reason that's driving them to want to solve an issue in this system. So what motivates you in healthcare? What's really driving you? What's making you passionate about this that's a, industry? That's a great question. Um, so I've been in healthcare IT since 1983. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, billing and scheduling through the 80s and 90s, medical records uh, helped build a, a very large, successful EMR company, uh, which about 90,000 physicians, four or 5,000 uh, customers, some of the largest health systems in America. And along the way, the, the, the larger mission you, you try to serve is, is how's that saying, Do, doing well while doing good? That's our saying it, too, that's is, our motto. <laughs> yeah, it is 
to help improve the lives of our customers and their patients. And the EMR, the promise of the EMR was to improve quality and improve outcomes and improve costs, and it didn't really achieve that. It did successfully digitize a lot of data that is now being used to make data-driven decisions on where the right cost and quality choices are to be made or improvements are to be made. I, I think my passion is th this country is on a spending curve that it cannot afford. And I've got children, and I, I think we've got the best system in the world. And, I, and I'd love to see, to help do a little, to play a part in leaving this system in a better place for the next generation in terms of the spending curve and not see the system implode in, in, in X years. And for people not to fall through the cracks. I, I, I have a client who does, we've made them aware of with our social determinants of work tools, people have food pressure, transportation pressures, um, income, lost their job. And they do really creative things like if a, an 88-year-old lady living on the Rio Grande border in a 90%, 110-degree Texas day doesn't have enough money to pay her electric bill, a couple hundred dollar electric bill and a $150 air conditioner from Walmart is a heck of a lot less money than an ambulance trip to the hospital and a, and a three or four day stay. And, and helping identify those kinds of people where you're helping a, a, a person see their granddaughter get married. These are preventable, avoidable things that happen. Catching a, a breast cancer at stage one or zero, helping people understand the importance of being screened, um, helps drive down cost and helps improve people's lives. Yep. So. Okay, two rapid fire questions. What are you listening to right now? Like any good music you'd recommend? Oh my gosh. Um, I'm a music guy. Gotta ask. <laughs> I, I guess I've been listening to Brothers Osborne lately. Okay. Love me some Brothers Osborne. Okay. Yeah. How about any good books you'd recommend? Oh gosh. Um, I just read a couple history books, but they, I, I love reading military history. Okay. Um, I just read a book That's called like Spearhead. Uncle. What's that? That's what, like my Yeah, I just read a book called Spearhead, which okay. is a, a U.S. bank-based tank crew okay. uh, in, in Europe. Okay. So, and, and the plight that they, those folks went through, I think there's a lot of lessons in military history that are really applicable to the business world. Yep. Um, that makes sense. All right. Three words to describe hymns this year. Mission-driven attendees. Okay. I like that. And then finally, um, how do people find out more about you and what you're doing with Lightbeam? Great question. Our, our website, uh, lightbeamhealthsolutions.com. Please visit. Register, email LinkedIn, Jerry Schultz with no C, S-H-U-L-T-Z. We'd be glad to come out and talk to you. Okay. Great. Thanks, Thanks a lot for your time today. Thanks. <laughs>